Hey, you're listening to the Bramley Baptist Church podcast. We're glad you're joining us to listen to this week's message. Whether you're starting your journey or looking to strengthen your walk with God, we believe that God will speak to you today. Let's get into the word together. Well, have you ever wondered why God made it so that it would be nine months that a full term of a, a baby would be born? And now, I know, yes, there's a whole science to that. It takes nine months for the baby to form in the womb. But I've, you know, I'm a simple guy. You know, I think it takes nine months for us to get everything ready for that baby to come. Like, I remember when we had our first child, it took us nine months just to get the house ready for this new baby to come. I remember Allie looked at me, and when she, when she told me she was pregnant, she said, Dave, it's never going to be the same. Boy, was she right. <laughs> Think about what goes into putting this, this, this home together. Think about uh, uh, putting a nursery together, setting it up, painting it, the furniture. You, you've got to build a crib, which, which I, if I remember, it takes a degree in engineering just to read the directions on, on how to put together a crib. That alone... But then there's a safety feature in your, features in your home, the covering of electric outlets, the, the guards and the cupboards. You've got, you've got to childproof your, your old home. And don't get me started about diapers and supplies and wipes and bassinets and strollers. There's a whole preparation that goes into getting your home ready to receive this, this new child that comes. In fact, it's, it's said that expectant mothers uh, go through what they call a, a nesting period, right? This instinct, have you heard of it? This instinct that, 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 that uh, expectant mothers have, that, that they have this um, instinct to get their home ready and perfect before the baby comes. Now, listen, I don't know the science behind it, but I'll tell you, there's nothing more frightening than coming home and finding your nine-month pregnant wife on her hands and knees scrubbing the floor because she says the mop's just not doing the trick. See, I think what we've seen in, in Genesis chapter one is something very similar. God has been building and establishing his creation, preparing creation to receive what some would call the crown jewel of his creation. Everything has been set, prepared, the food, the water, the oxygen, the land, everything is now ready to receive the creation of mankind. What has been happening in this account of creation is that, is that even as you read, you, you see that it's building up to this point, this climax where, where God is about to create a unique being to inhabit, to care for, to rule, to steward his beautiful creation. There's something different about humankind. And I think we know that. We know that by just going to the zoo and trying to have a conversation with a baboon. It becomes very clear that that there's something unique, something different about us as humans. And and the question is, well, what is it that, that makes us different? What does it mean to be human? That's the question we want to wrestle with this morning. It's a question that is literally as old as time. 
Who am I? What am I here for? What does it mean to be human? I want to wrestle with that question this morning as we open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Again, very easy to find. First page in the Bible, you'll find it. And we're going to pick up right where we left off last week uh, in verse 26. And and we're going to read uh, from 26 all the way to chapter 2, verse 3. So if you have your Bibles, I would just, uh, Bibles or your devices, I would just encourage you to have God's word open with you this morning. In fact, if you're able to, I would encourage you to stand uh, in reverence to God's word with me as we, we read this, as I read this for us. And I'm reading from the English uh, Standard Version, Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the, of, over the fish of the sea, and over the, the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food and it was so. And God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. So we are into our uh, second week here in our, our study of Genesis. And, and here's what you might notice as we're going along. As we're going along, you, you might have noticed that we're going to deal with some controversial issues. In all honesty, there are some cultural and societal landmines that we're going to step on as we go. I think we have to ask ourselves why. Why is these first chapters so controversial? Why is there so much tension uh, with uh, us uh, in these first few verses? And the answer is, is that what we have happening in Genesis, especially Genesis 1 to 3, is we have this collision of worldviews going on. It would be so easy for us to make this about religion versus science. That's not what's going on here at all. In fact, over the course of human history, some of the greatest scientific discoveries have been accomplished by Christians. And, and many of them would say that it would be, it was their faith and belief that God created this world that drove them to study science. Now, this isn't about religion versus science. 
What we have in, in Genesis, especially verse chapters one to three, is the very foundations of our faith, the very foundations of everything we believe, the, the building blocks of what it means to have faith and trust in God is found in these first three chapters. And, and what we are defining over these next few weeks is what it means to have a biblical worldview. That's what we wanna have as Christians. We wanna have a, a biblical worldview. That is, we wanna see the, the world through the eyes of God's word. We wanna see the world the way that God sees the world. And oftentimes our, our biblical worldview is in conflict with the cultural worldview and that will produce tension. It is at its most basic point, spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare that we're facing. Because if the world, if the culture, if the enemy can cast doubt or make us ashamed at the very foundation of our faith found here in Genesis, then everything that is built upon that can be brought into question. So this is, this is why it's so controversial. We are faced with a, another collision of worldviews as we look at this morning what it means to be human and, and how human beings came to be on the earth. And here's what we find as we open up the Bible, that the Bible clearly tells us that God created human beings unique, distinct, apart from the rest of creation. Genesis 2 tells us that God created human beings from the dust of the earth and he breathed life into our lungs. And listen, that conflicts with the majority of, of the cultural worldview today. There are many who would say that human beings evolved from lower life forms. That we were once uh, not much different than, than monkeys or apes, but over millions and millions of years, we've evolved into intelligent beings that we are today. Now, let's be clear that's a theory. It's a theory that is often taught as fact, it's a theory that is pressed into the minds of the public from the earliest stages of education and it is taught as an indisputable fact that only the foolish would question the truth of evolution. And yet there are many who do question the truth of evolution and not just uh, Christians, but, but non-Christian scientists uh, would question this theory of evolution. And, and one of the biggest questions, or probably the greatest issue with it, is the fossil records. Evolutionists are, are still yet to discover a transitional species in the fossil record. So what they do is they find an, an ancient species that has similarities to the bone structure of humans. And then they assume that what has happened is that this species must have evolved to this higher species, but they never find the fossil that connects the two species. They never find the transitional piece. Let me give you an example. If you were to go to say like a, a museum of automobiles, and you head to, let's say, the Ford section, and you go to the Mustang section, 
And you see this chart that tracks uh, the, 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 the evolution of the Mustang from its inception all the way to modern day. Here's what you would find. You would find how it transitions from year to year to year to year. And you would see the years that they made changes to the structure to bring it into what it is today. And we would assume that you would be able to track that transition And you'd expect that if human beings have evolved and transitioned through the generations, that we could track that fossil record and see how it has changed, but they can't. In fact, Darwin, the the father of the evolution theory, Darwin himself admitted that this was the weak point in his theory. But he assumed that it was because, well, well, we just haven't found enough fossils at this time. And yet here we are 160 years later and we have yet to, and we've uncovered immeasurable fossils and records and we're still yet to find this transitional fossil. Here's what else you would see at the Automobile Museum. You would see that there are similarities between makes and models of cars. They would have the same steering rack, for instance, but that doesn't make them the same make and model. It just means that the engineers found that this steering rack works really well. And so let's use it in other cars as well. It doesn't mean that they're the same make and model, right? Just because, what I'm saying is just because we share the same bone structure with some species, maybe even similar DNA patterns, it does not mean that we are the same. But there are other things that the theory of evolution falls short in explaining. For instance, what is the evolutionary use of creativity? Like I I can see the use of tools or weapons or eating happens, but what about the ability to paint a beautiful landscape on a canvas or composing a a moving symphony or or writing an impactful screenplay? In fact, self-expression in art and creativity is, we would say is an intrinsic part of humanity. So what is the evolutionary explanation for that? What about our conscience? That little voice inside your head that speaks to us. What about things like love and anger and the complexity of emotions that humans seem to have? Oh, sure, animals can get sad and mad, but, but I mean, talking about a complexity of emotions, like, like we can be both sad and mad. We can be both joyfully and sorrowful all at the same time. Like, What is the evolutionary need for morality and evil? I mean, if we're just animals that have evolved, why get angry if uh, someone follows their animal instincts and violates another human being? What makes that wrong? What we know instinctively is that human life is sacred. It's it's why our hearts are broken as we see the tragedy of the war that's going on across the world right now. Why is war a tragedy? Why isn't it just a a higher form of life removing a, a lower form of life? Why aren't we viewing the war and the conflict that's going on just a result of the evolutionary process playing itself out? Or why are we so passionate about racial injustice and racial equality? 
Like why do the individual rights of human beings matter? I mean, these are all questions that evolution just cannot answer. In fact, you might be surprised that evolution has even been used to promote racism from its very beginning. Right, Darwin, uh, the original title of his work was this. Uh, maybe you haven't heard of it, but his original title was On the Origins of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle of Life. See, the conclusion that Darwin came to is that evolution taught that the reason that, that the white race was in power over the black race who was enslaved or other ethnic races is, is that the white race was farther along the evolutionary process. And then, of course, Hitler picked up on that, and we know how that went. Now, we know that's wrong, but the question is, why do we know it's wrong? Why should we value human life? Why should we treat people with dignity and respect no matter what race or nationality they are? What makes the human race so special? Why are we so unique? See, the Bible answers that question for us. We were created in the image and the likeness of God. That's what makes us unique. That's what makes human life sacred. Look at verse 26 here. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Human life is precious. Because that human life is uniquely created in the image and the likeness of God. And that doesn't matter what race or nationality you are. We are all equal image bearers of God. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. We are all equal image bearers of God. Something different happens. And Moses wants us to pick up on this. There's a, a whole transition that happens in 26. He, he wants us to see that something different is happening in this creation. Something is happening that hasn't happened in the last 25 verses. There's a, a shift. And the shift is evident because every time God created before, he simply said, let there be and there was. He simply spoke creation into existence. But a shift happens and it tells us that this is different. God said, let us make man in our image. Let us, let us. And the question of course is, who is this us? Now it isn't clear here. There are different theories. It, it might not even be clear to Moses who wrote this, but I would argue that, that what we have here is the seeds being planted for the revelation of the Trinity. Now, what I mean by that is that the Bible doesn't reveal everything there is to know about God on page one. But there is what is called a progressive revelation. That is, that as we read the Bible, there is more and more that is revealed. Things that are revealed in seed form in the Old Testament, as you read, the picture becomes clearer and clearer as you read. So, so the question we have is, why is God speaking about himself in the plural form? 
In fact, that word for God that we see here, Elohim, it's, it's the plural word for God. And then we come here and he says, let us. Who, why is he speaking in plural? He's one. But as we read, we find out that God is made up of three individuals. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we've already seen that the Holy Spirit is at work here in verse 2. He's hovering over the, the face of the waters. And we also know that Jesus was in the beginning with God. We find that as we read the rest of the Bible. There, there's something being done here that hasn't been done with any other creation. The whole of the Trinity is drawing attention to this moment. But what else makes humanity uni unique is, is that word image. Humanity is unique that they, they bear the, the image of God. And, and this is what makes human life so precious. This is what makes it unique. This is what separates us from the rest of creation. And listen, if you try to add an evolutionary worldview with a biblical worldview, it creates tension. You cannot square it with what we read in the biblical account of creation. For starters, notice both land animals and humanity are created on the same day, right? We see that in verse 25. It says, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and livestock according to their kinds. Then, right, that word then means it's, a, it's this immediate shift. There's, there's no time gap in between, but the focus shifts immediately from making the animals to now creating humanity. Second, there's this emphasis on God creating bara. Remember that word bara? We talked about it last week. It's the Hebrew word that means created out of nothing. We see it in verse 27. So, uh, so God bara man in his own image. In the image of God, he bara him. Male and female, he bara him. The focus is that these beings were created, not formed out of existing species, but rather when God created humanity, he created something unique. He, he brought into existence something that was not there before. We get an image of what that looks like in chapter two, verse seven. Chapter two, verse seven says, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. This is in direct contrast to the evolutionary view of creation where, where God kind of picked out two Neanderthals and breathed his life and they became human suddenly. No, no, God formed them is what we are told. He brought them into creation out of the dust of the earth. He created them, brought into being something that wasn't there before. What makes humanity unique why do we have this conscience? Why do we have this sense of right and wrong? Why is human life so sacred? Because you and I were created in the image and the likeness of God. What does that mean? What does it mean to be created in the image of God? I, I think that's a crucial question for us to ask. Because in essence, what we are asking is what does it mean to be human? And this is such a, an important question because it, it hits home to what I would say is the biggest question of, of our generation, the question of identity. Who am I? 
And I think it's why so many in our generation are so confused and lost. They're asking the question, who am I? And they're looking for their identity in all the wrong places. If we're looking for an answer to who we are outside of the one who created us, every other place, every other answer to your question of identity is going to be fleeting and temporary. It's not going to satisfy. We try to find our identity in work. But what happens when you lose your job? Who are you then? We try to find our identity in being a parent, a mother and father. But what happens when your kids grow up and move out on their own? Where is your identity then? Maybe it's money, but one day all that money is going to be gone. And who will you be then? Maybe my identity is fluid. We try to, try to find our identity based upon how I feel. But isn't that like living on an ever-shifting foundation and never standing on solid ground? All these different areas that we try to find our identity in and, and God is calling us back. Find your identity in him. You are my child. I created you purposely for des by design. I placed my image on you. Find your identity. Find your purpose. Find your reason for existing in me. What does it mean to be created in God's image? I, I've got three R's for you today. Now, don't get excited. I'm not that creative. It just works that way sometimes. I just get, I just get lucky, even though I don't believe in luck. Three R's, easy for you to remember. The first one is this. Here's what it means to be human. Here's what it means to be made in the image of God. Reflection. We were created to be a reflection of the glory of God. We were created to be a reflection of the glory of our creator. That much is clear by those words that we see. Image and likeness. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Image, likeness. I mean, image is pretty clear, right? Like when I woke up this morning and I got ready for church, I, I tried to avoid it as much as I could, especially when I first wake up, but eventually I had to look in the mirror. And what was staring back at me as I looked in the mirror? It was a reflection of myself, an image of myself. And that communicates that when we look at humanity, what we should see is a reflection of the God who created us. But in case you and I were, were to think that that would mean that we are like God, that word likeness, it communicates that while we reflect the image of God, we are different from him. We are only in his likeness. You and I as human beings, we were created to reflect, to be a reflection of our creator. What does that mean? Well, well theologians have wrestled with this uh, over the years. Some would say, well, well, just stop and think about the ways that we are different from the animals, but similar to God. So they would say, hey, like we have a mind and we can rationalize and we can think like God. Or we can express creativity like God. Or we can build, we can obtain knowledge and understanding. This is what makes us in the image of God. Okay, maybe. 
Some would say, well, well, there would be what we would call communicable and incommunicable attributes. That is, there are attributes of God that we can imitate and attributes of God that we cannot. So for instance, God is eternal. We are not. God is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. We are not. But God is holy and we can reflect that holiness. He is righteous. We can reflect that righteousness. God is a love. We can reflect love. God shows mercy and grace. We can reflect those attributes of God. And so when we reflect those attributes, when we live out holiness and righteousness, and when we walk in love and grace and mercy, we are reflecting the glory of the God that we serve. And I would think, I think those are helpful explanations, but I, I think here's what we know. We know that as much as humanity is able to reflect God in those attributes, we fall drastically short. We don't love like we should. We fall shamefully short of his holiness and his righteousness. Grace and mercy are often things we withhold and not extend. So what's going on here? We find out in chapter three that that that's what God created us to be but sin has tainted, distorted what God intended. In chapter three, we find out that, that mankind is, is broken because of sin. And because of sin, the image of God that is on us has been marred. The image is still there, but it's, it's scarred. It's disfigured because of sin. It's tainted by the fall. So, so picture looking, uh, rather than looking at a mirror directly, picture looking at a broken mirror that's been smashed and dis- disfigured pieces. Because of the fall, sin, the image has been tainted. And that becomes no more clearer in our society than we look at how else we were created to reflect our creator. Look at what it says there in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I, I told you we were gonna step on some landmines this morning. We reflect the image of God in the reality that we were created as male or female. I mean, tell me, is there any greater evidence that God's image upon mankind is flawed than the fact that we have mixed up this basic truth that when God created humanity, he created male and female. The fact that you have been created as a male or a female was not by accident. But rather what Genesis is telling us is that I was created to uniquely reflect the image of God in my maleness or in my femaleness. In God's eyes, gender is not fluid, it's binary. You are either male or you are female. And that designation is not decided based upon the way you feel, but it is determined by the one who created you that way. Now look, I 
I know what's happening. You, you feel that, that tension. It's because it's a collision of worldviews. I know the culture's worldview. I know the world and the culture, how they see it, but I also know the truth of God's word. And I'm, listen, I need, it needs to be clear. I'm not trying to change the culture's mind. That's not my job. But I think it's important for you and I as followers of Jesus and believers who submit to the truth of God's word, that it's vital for us to be clear about what God's word teaches about this. I mean, no wonder humanity is in such chaos and division. We aren't even clear what it is that makes a man a man or a woman a woman. To know who you are. That you were created not by accident, but you were created male or female for a purpose as a design. That you uniquely reflect the image of God who created you in your maleness or your femaleness. So then why? Why, why do I feel differently? Why does my friend, my neighbor, my son, my daughter, my grandchild... Why do they feel differently? Because we live in a broken world filled with broken people. And the image upon us has been tainted, broken, and distorted. We are all human beings created in the image of God, but in each of our lives, that image because of sin has been distorted and that distortion, it looks different in each of our lives. But the only way back to wholeness is not by changing the physicality of my body, but by submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, by submitting my life to live as he designed and intended me to. So then what do I do when the world around me disagrees? What do I do when my neighbor, my family, my job disagrees with this biblical worldview? Well, we go back to John chapter one and we imitate Jesus. Remember what it said about Jesus in John chapter one? He was full of grace, full of truth full of grace, full of truth. See, there are times when you and I will need to extend grace to those who don't share this biblical worldview. There will be times where we have to show grace to those who live in opposition to the truth. In fact, we want to extend grace as much as possible, which means that we treat people with love and dignity and respect because they are still an image bearer of God. And we recognize, we recognize that this world is broken and this world is lost and it desperately, desperately needs Jesus. And yet there are times when we will be called to stand for truth. And in those seasons, we need to be willing and ready to stand on the truth of God's word, no matter the cost. It's a delicate balance, grace and truth, 
As human beings, we were created in the image of God, called to be a reflection of God. And here's the the second R, commanded to be a representation of God to his creation. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means that we are made to be a representation to his creation. We, we see this in what is called the creation mandate that's given to uh, Adam here. We look at that in verse 26. We see it again. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Here it is. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And verse 28, look at there, it says, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is what is known as the creation mandate. And God created Adam and then he placed Adam in the garden in the midst of the creation to rule over it. The key word that we see over and over is he's given humanity dominion over his creation. And here again, we we hear that word rule and we think of the image of what it's not meant to be. So we think of rule and we think of dominate, but, but in God's rule, in God's original design, humanity was placed here to care, to tend, to enjoy, to bless, to watch over, to be good stewards of God's creation. God gave humanity dominion over the earth, but not to use it for our own selfish de- desires, not to dominate over it or abuse it or mus- misuse it, but in God's place, we've been placed here to care for his creation, to tend it, to enjoy it, to care for it. We get a bit of what that looks like in, in chapter two. Chapter two, verse 15, for instance, says this. It says, the Lord took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. To work it and keep it. That's right. Part of being a representation of God here on earth is we are called to work. We reflect and we represent the image of God When we work with our hands, with our intelligence, working is part of being human. And some of us think, well, that can't be right. Because working, it's gotta be part of the fall. It's tedious, it's frustrating, it's hard. But I think you're missing the point, right? We, we were created to work and our work is a way that we reflect the God who created us. Like God himself worked as he created this six days. So we are reflecting him as we work. But, but work initially was meant to be enjoyed. It was meant to be an act of devotion and worship. But after the fall, part of the curse is that work becomes hard and difficult We were made to work. In fact, I would argue that in the new heavens and the new earth, we're all gonna have jobs. Like I think work was a part of God's original creation. I think in the new creation, you're gonna have a job and I'm gonna have a job, but we're gonna like the job. That's the difference. Some of us, I like my job. So I mean, some of us like our jobs. We can't speak for everyone. 
But this changes how we view the work that we do then, right? When we're working at our jobs, knowing that this work reflects the image of God upon us, we can work to the glory of God. No matter what you do, you were called to work, whether that work is ministry or not, God has called you and placed you where you are in your workplace to be a representation of him. Part of that, of course, being a representation to God and his creation is caring for his creation. Kind of like if someone, picture Adam and Eve, kind of like if someone left you in charge of their land and they've got animals and fruit and, and you know, harvest and they're saying, you can enjoy all of this land. All I want you to do is take care of it. And we see Adam's sovereign care over creation, tending and working the ground, caring for God's creation, having dominion over it. We see it as the animals come to him and he's giving them names. That's part of him establishing his dominion over creation. But once again, we see that what God intended initially has been flawed by sin. In one way, you've got the environmentalists that kind of take this too far that say that we should be putting the needs of the planet and the animals above humanity. When in actuality, the world was created for us to enjoy. And yet the other extreme is that people give no thought to our planet's resources. Instead, we, we misuse and abuse our, our natural resources. We waste and pollute and kill and destroy the planet. So much so that Paul says that it's not just us who are longing for Christ's return, but all of creation is groaning and longing for the return of Jesus. I mean, if there was ever a group of people who should be more concerned about caring and being good stewards of God's planet and his resources, it should be us as Christians recognizing that, that part of exercising dominion over uh, God's creation is and, and, and caring for it is reflecting the image of the God we serve. So three R's, re reflect, uh, represent. The third one here is relationship. I mean, we were created to live in relationship. I mean, this was no more clear than when we were going through quarantine uh, just a few years ago. I mean, how much we were longing for connection with other people. I had people coming to me who would designate themselves as introverts and they're saying, I'm dying to have connection with people because we were created to live in relationship. And that reflects the God that we serve. That comes again from the let us. Let us make man in our image, right? It's, we've already established that that's the seeds of the Trinity, which tells us that God lives in eternal relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God has created you and I to live in relationship with him. Now, let's be clear. It's not because God was lonely. It's not because God was deficient in any way. It's not that God was lacking until he created us, but it's just that God is a, a relational God expressing himself and creating a unique relationship with us as humans. We are different than any other creation. We can worship God. We can commune with God. We can pray with God. We can know that God exists. 
we look at all the different cultures in societies down through the centuries and all of them have this longing to connect with the divine and, 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 and Genesis is telling us why because we are reflecting the image of God that is upon us. This may be the most important thing that you need to know about yourself. You were created to live in relationship with the one who created you for himself. Now again, we, we see how sin has tainted this reality. Humanity will do almost anything to deny the existence of God. The tragedy that, that so many reject their creator, they rebel against him. And instead of seeking after him and living in a relationship with him, they reject him and they want their own way of life. They refuse and deny that he exists. They suppress the truth of his existence and exchange the truth of God for a lie, as Paul says in Romans. We want to rule our own lives as our own God. So, so don't tell me who I can be. Don't tell me what I can do. Don't tell me how I should live. I'm going to determine my own fate and my own destiny. And yet perhaps, perhaps that's why your life seems so empty. There are times, you know, when I'm trying to screw or unscrew a bolt and I can't find a screwdriver. So I go and I grab a butter knife. Anyone ever do this? Get a butter knife. And the butter knife works, right? It takes a bit of work. It takes a bit longer, a bit more patience, but I can get that bolt loosened, but it never quite fits. It never quite works right. Why? Because that's not what it was created for. It's not what the bolt was created for. It seems to work perfectly when I use the tool that was created for the job. There's a reason, a purpose that you were created for. And there are other purposes and reasons that you can find and they might seem to fit, but it never seems quite right. And I think we know that. See, the story of scripture is this. Don't see scripture, don't see the Bible as isolated stories. What we need to start doing is seeing it as one whole story. And here's the story. That God created you and I as humans for himself, to be image bearers, to reflect his glory, to represent him to this world, to live in, in perfect relationship with him. But my own sin, my own pride, my own desire to rule my life, it gets in the way, it creates this rift. In essence, I've rebelled against God. But God sends his son Jesus into this world and, and here's what Jesus does. He shows us what it means to truly be human. Jesus comes and he perfectly reflects the glory of God and how he lives his life. He's the perfect representation of his heavenly father here on earth. And he experiences the joy of walking in perfect relationship with his heavenly father. Jesus shows us what it means to be truly human. He shows us just how far our sin has caused us to fall 
But praise God, he shows us the way back to the Father when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And he provides that way back to the Father as he goes to the cross, dying for our sin, rising from the dead. And he calls you and I to trust that what he has accomplished is enough to restore us back to the Father. And here's the work that Jesus starts doing in us through his Holy Spirit. The moment that we place our faith and trust in him, here's what Jesus is doing. He begins working in our lives to redeem the image of God that has been broken. He begins working to restore the, the broken pieces, to clear out the distortions of sin, to recreate us in the image of God that we were intended to be. What does it mean to be human? It means that we were uniquely created in the image and likeness of God. That you and I were created to be a reflection of God's glory. That we were created to be his physical representation here on this earth. We were created to live in relationship with the one who created us for himself. Let's pray this morning. Father in heaven, I, I recognize so much, so much information has gone out these last two weeks. And here's what I pray. I pray that it would not be knowledge that puffs up. I pray it would not be knowledge that we just put into our intellectual belt but that would be knowledge that brings forth true transformation in our lives. Pray that it is knowledge that would lead to worship and adoration of the great and mighty God that we serve. Pray that as we share this this morning, this unique relationship that you created us to have with you, oh, that our hearts would long for it this morning, that we would long to be in relationship, reflecting and representing you. Oh God, I pray that you would do a work through the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening and making us a part of your walk. We encourage you to take today's teachings and apply it to your life. Challenge not only yourself, but those around you. Our support in your journey does not end here. To hear more messages from all our series or to speak to someone to help grow your faith, visit us at branley.org.